Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Maria. Hi, everybody. My name is Maria. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hi, Maria. Thank you all for coming out tonight. It's an honor to be here. Someone asked me before the meeting to save her soul, so I'm going to do my best. Uh, a bit of a joke, but yeah. I always get a little nervous sometimes when I speak at meetings, but I've spoken with my sponsor about it, and she always reminds me, Maria, these are people who ate out of the garbage, like you, so just there's nothing to be nervous about. Um, so it's always a good reminder uh, of where I come from. And I just want to say if you're new and you're not sure if Overeaters Anonymous is for you or not, Welcome, welcome to this meeting. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively, so I welcome you to come to meetings and check them out and see if it it resonates for you. Um, uh, People say to me, you know, Maria, I can't picture you fat, and I say, well, I have the pictures to prove it. And um, so I I just want to say, if anyone who's new, I was about 50 pounds heavier when I came into OA. And I was able to get to a normal body weight, and I did it by uh, the basic suggestions of this program, which was getting a sponsor, getting a home group, working the steps, and giving service. I'm just going to repeat that. I did it by getting a sponsor, getting a home group, working the steps, and giving service. I work with a lot of people, and they are always sort of surprised. They're like, well... You know, if I just, if I do this, if I, if I find the right food plan, if I do this other thing, if I do that other thing. And, and for me, my experience was really that my recovery came through doing the very fundamentals and basics of this program. And that if I believed that the step work would help me, the step work helped me. And, I, you know, honestly, I don't know if I had 100% faith in that when I was working the steps, but definitely that's been my experience, and that's how I'm standing here today. Um, my life has changed dramatically. Uh, I got into OA back in 1992, so that's almost 23 years ago. So my life has changed dramatically. And I know, I look so young. <laughs> How could it be? Uh, I know, I know. Uh, but it's true. And uh, so, so I've been in program for o- over 20 years now, uh, knock on wood, one day at a time, and, and so grateful to be here. And, and I wanted to share a little bit about what it was like and what happened and what it's like now. When I first came in, I was very curious to hear other people's experience and what brought them here. I I wanted to know if I was, well, I didn't really have doubt about being in the right spot, but I was very curious about how they had ended up here and what their life experience was like. And um, I feel like, you know, compulsive overeaters, they're my peeps, they understand. Uh, I feel like we're the hardcore addicts because we couldn't even wait till we were teenagers to get our hands on alcohol or drugs. We needed something stat, you know, when we were young. And um, for me, uh, I I grew up in a a very uh, unhappy environment with a lot of problems. And, And the question is, I don't know if it's a chicken or egg story. I don't know if I was born a compulsive eater or I was made into a compulsive eater. I I don't, it doesn't matter. But I do know, I do remember like being in the kitchen with my mother. I think I was like three years old and she was baking something in the oven. And I was there like, 
so excited about what was coming out of the oven. Like, I couldn't wait, like a priest waiting for the second coming. I was like, when is it coming out of that oven? You know, I was just so excited about that food. And, and so I know I always had this um, this real enamoration of food. Definitely that has always existed for me. Uh, but some very traumatic things went on in my family by the time I was five years old. And I suddenly found myself alone most of the time in front of the television, and my two best friends became TV and food. And by the time I was nine years old, I was the fattest kid at school. I was overweight. I was unkempt. I had terrible acne and thick Coke bottle glasses. I didn't fit in. I was an outcast. I was uh, a social pariah, and I was excluded. And I hated myself with an intensity. I wish I could, I wished I could disappear. Um, and I hated the fat on my body. I hated my body. Uh, changing for PE was, uh, was shaming. It was embarrassing. I felt humiliated. And I, I just had a lot of negative attention from people around me. And the more I hated myself and the more I hated my fat, the more I ate. The more I wanted to stop eating, the more I tried to stop eating, the more I ate. And this is what differentiates me from the normal, the normal person who, say, maybe on occasion eats too much. I could not stop eating. Um, it was the only tool I had to cope with sort of the insanity that was occurring around me. And as I got into my young teen years, I, I became very self-conscious about how I looked. And so I tried to restrict my food. So, for instance, if one day I had too much food at lunch or dinner, I would not allow myself to have dinner the next day. And so I began this sort of dance with restriction. The thing was I could never kind of maintain it. I loved food and I hated restricting. And so I would, I would put like a, a real sort of noose around my neck where food was concerned. Like you ate too much yesterday, no dinner today. And then the next day I would get a bag of cookies and I would leave the cookies on top of the fridge and I'd say, okay, I'll just have one or two. So I'd have one or two, I'd go watch a TV show, and then it would start, the mental obsession. You could just have one more, <laughs> you know. And I would go back, and I'd say, all right, just one, well, no, just one, I'll just have two more. And then I would go back to watch the TV show, and then it would be like, they're still there. And then I, so it would go back and forth and back and forth. And pretty much I could go through a pound, you know, in a day or two uh, of, the, of whatever it was. Uh, and I was kind of a lazy addict. If there wasn't the stuff I really loved to binge on at home, I would just binge on what we had. And there were some very strange combinations of foods, uh, you know, stale, whatever, that was left over in the cabinets. And, um, and then that's what I ate. Um, at the time, <clears throat> when, I, when I first got into OA, I was sort of just shocked to unveil the fact that there was a lot of feelings and emotions underneath my decisions to eat. At the time, I just thought it was, it tasted good. I, I, you know, couldn't control myself. I thought it was a matter of control and power. And then people would say things to me like, well, you know, if you want to eat weight, you just eat less. <laughs> you know, and if I was able to do that, I wouldn't be here right now. I would not be here right now, okay? They would try to be helpful, but they didn't understand that I had a compulsion to eat. I needed to eat. I'm like, I'm a hardcore gutter girl, garden variety, compulsive eater, and, you know, food is my crack. Food is my crack cocaine. And there were so many times I would be out to dinner with people. If I'd go out to dinner with a friend and there was a dessert case in the restaurant, 
you know, I would have trouble paying attention to the friend because I'd be looking over and I'd be casing it out. You know, what was I going to get? Uh, was I going to eat it there? What would they think about me eating it there? Would I be able to get it to go? How could I, uh, how could I get order two to go in front of my friend and what were they going to think about the fact that I was ordering two to go when they knew they were both for me and I would have to make up some lie oh I'm getting some for me and my mother or you know whatever it was to pretend like I wasn't going to eat all the food meanwhile my friend is sitting there trying to connect with me and talk with me about whatever's going on in their lives and I can't because I'm like a crack addict and that's my crack you know that's my thing that's my substance so, you know, I, I just being in the present, really being intimate and connecting with other people uh, in any sort of real way, um, uh, being able to cope with the ups and downs of life, I was not capable of doing any of this uh, before OA. And um, when I was 15, I, I heard about bulimia somewhere. I think it was some talk show. And so I started to be, I became bulimic. Uh, there was some emotional, heavy emotional stuff going on. And the bulimia really came in. And I just have to say, I hate vomiting with a passion. Like, when, I get the, when I've gotten the flu in recovery and, and, you know, just thrown up automatically, I've cried after. I hate it. But I forced myself to do it because I was so obsessed with putting on more weight. And, um, you know, I still to this day have a lot of digestive problems because of those years of bulimia. And, you know, I'm grateful that I came in what I did because I know people in this program who've lost the enamel on their teeth, who've ruined their esophagus. You know, it's, it's a terrible, horrible, uh, painful disease. And to bring up those kinds of stomach acids is really, you know, I'm sorry to talk about it, but I think it's really important to just remember that, you know, overeating seems, people seem to think it's so harmless. For me personally, it's a life or death disease. And I, I take this program on my recovery very seriously in a life or death way because the, the remnants and the, the repercussions of continuously compulsive eating, compulsively eating, you know, are just so, just so devastating on so many levels. Uh, I have a family member right now who has diabetes and can't stop eating compulsively. And it's a deadly, powerful disease. So what happened to me was um, I ended up going away to college, and uh, I'm in another program, uh, the beverage program. And I, I got drunk one night and tried to commit suicide, and I ended up in treatment for uh, alcoholism. Now, while I was in treatment for alcoholism, I was at a five-week uh, treatment facility, in a five-week time period, I gained 25 pounds. And um, it's only in OA that I talk about this, because OAs are usually like, five weeks, 25? Yeah, okay. <laughs> 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 you see that? <laughs> you know? So it's, it's the only place I'll mention it. And, and what I really saw was my absolute, like, inability to control myself around food. You know, the, the food there, they, they had this philosophy in the, in the menu planning that the people coming in for treatment were emaciated from drinking too much and not, um, you know, not eating, which was not my story. Uh, I used to get drunk a lot and then binge because I didn't feel guilty because I was drunk. I would, feel drunk. I would feel guilty the next day, but I used to do that a lot while I was drinking. I would get drink, you know, get drunk and then binge. And so uh, I was not emaciated when I got in, and um, I was eating these really heavy meals, and they would put, like, slices of whatever dessert out on this table, and you could walk up from your table to go and get the dessert. 
And I would walk up. I remember being at dinner one night, and I walked up to the table once and then got a piece of whatever and sat down. And then I couldn't help myself. I had to go up again and get another slice. And then I went up, like, talk about walk of shame, like, that third time. And I remember my friends at the table being like, Maria, you know, it's like three pieces. And um, I, I couldn't not do it. I just couldn't not do it. Uh, it, it was painful. It was painful to watch. And I, I just started to see, I remember we had one group where I was feeling very uncomfortable and uh, somebody in the, in, the, in the treatment facility that I was friendly with didn't sit next to me in the group and I was upset. So I went right to the vending machine. And, and that's when I really got clear on the fact that I had, I had a real problem, you know, and it wasn't just about the food tasting good. And all those years prior to, to getting into recovery, I used to see t- television commercials. Um, uh, this, they had this one commercial running where this woman would say, oh, I did a lot of things I'm not proud of to get drugs. And I, and I remember looking at that commercial and going, I've done a lot of things I'm not proud of for food. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where people like me went. Uh, it was shameful. It was embarrassing. And just the humiliation that I felt at this treatment facility you know, because I, I never felt close to people. I never felt like I was really showing them my real face because they didn't know I had this huge skeleton in my closet that I, I bitched and perched. And that, that to me was so shaming and humiliating that I always felt people didn't really know me. They, know this, they knew this facade that I presented to them. And if they really knew who I was, they would be so terrified. They'd just be, like, horrified. They would leave me. And so... Um, so that's where I was at treatment. And, you know, I just, I had so many experiences of, of not truly experiencing life because I was in my food. And I remember the first time we went to Italy when I was 16, <clears throat> we went to visit family. And they stayed, they had this beautiful villa and, and we had dinner and I couldn't help myself when the dessert came out. I kept eating the dessert. And so while everybody was still at the table talking to each other, I kind of went upstairs and I'll never forget, the, the villa had this beautiful view of the mountains, and there were little goats walking around the mountains. And I was looking at all this while I was on my knees in front of the toilet trying to get myself to throw up. And that is powerlessness. That is, and it's a tragedy that I had all these wonderful life experiences but couldn't accept or embrace any of them because I was so involved with the food. You know, that was just a repeated experience I had. So by the time I left treatment, my, my pants were, uh, they were so tight. I, I just, I remember that uncomfortable feeling in my stomach of being ready to burst out of my pants. Uh, I, I had terrible heartburn because I was eating nonstop. Uh, I couldn't sleep on my stomach anymore because the heartburn was so bad. And I was disgusted. I was just disgusted. And I heard, that's where I heard about OA. And I remember saying to somebody in the treatment facility, Oh, way, over years anonymous. I said, well, what do you do? Do you stop eating? I mean, what do you, what do, you do in that program? I mean, AA, you stop drinking. What the hell do you, how do you get recovery in a food program? And they said, well, you know, you, you eat three meals a day. I thought, okay. So the day I got out of treatment, I started eating three meals a day, and I, and I started going to uh, OA meetings. Uh, and I'm from New York originally, if you couldn't tell. <coughs> And so I, um, they had some really great uh, abstinent and sober OA meetings there that were sort of both programs, but I also just went to straight up OA. And I, I just have to say that I was absolutely desperate for the recovery that exists here. I was absolutely desperate. You know, when I went into my first meeting, 
uh, there was like two people there. At the first meeting I went to, there was one woman, and she had her head on the table like this. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, ma'am, uh, is this an OA meeting? And she's like, yes. <laughs> well, uh, um, could you, what exactly do we do? I, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do for recovery and how this is. She's like, well, you just stay for the meeting. And she like, she just answered me like, rah, 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 rah. And, and the thing is, like, I still kept coming back, you know, because I wanted it. And, and, you know, sometimes I work with sponsees and they have all this help and all these people trying to help them and all this recovery right, right in front of them. And they're like, no, thanks. You know, and it's, it's like heartbreaking, but what can you do? And I just have to say that it wasn't that easy. You know, it wasn't that easy to get a sponsor at that time. It was really, you know, OA, I guess at that time was in its, like, its, you know, 20th-something year. And, and um, we were all kind of new in sponsoring each other, but I was really desperate. And I didn't, I didn't spend any time wondering if this was the right place for me or not. I didn't have that at all. OA, to me, was an oasis in the desert. I was desperate. I was totally desperate. I was so grateful that I could hear words coming out of other people's mouths about food that I had thought so many times and was so desperately ashamed to share or talk about. And so there was such great solace that I found here that I had never experienced anywhere else else in my life at any time. Um, I remember early on hearing this one woman share, and uh, she was someone I really looked up to, and she said, you know, um, I'm, I usually get three meals out of one box of spaghetti. I've been going through a hard time. Now I'm getting two meals out of one box of spaghetti. And I just remember looking at her, and I understood that so deeply. Like, oh, yeah, you know, and that this, this, this screwed-up equation in my brain that I have a problem, the solution is food. You know, it's like A plus B equals Q. It, it never quite adds up. <laughs> But it's always that way. I'm, I'm, you know, I, ha- I want to celebrate food. I'm unhappy. Food. I'm depressed. Food. I'm bored. Food. And I had to really start, like, rewiring my brain in here, which is, which is really, you know, a great challenge to start doing things in a new, a different way. Um, one of my first experiences with painful emotion in recovery was that I went by a friend's house who I'd been in treatment with. I just dropped by his house to say hello. And he wasn't expecting me. When he opened the door, he didn't look too happy to see me because I hadn't called in advance. And I remember how ashamed and embarrassed I felt. Right before I went to his house, I'd eaten lunch. And then I had this experience of him not being happy of Mike dropping in. And I said, oh, I can see you're, you know, not feeling well. I'll come back another time. And I left his house. And the minute I started walking down the stairs to leave, I thought, I'm hungry. And I had literally just eaten lunch before I went there. And that's when it hit me that I, I eat because of how I feel. And I went home, and I, was, I just kept picturing his face and how uncomfortable he was that I was there. And I, I ended up sitting on my kitchen floor and crying like a kid, like a kid who had a play date that didn't go well, you know. Uh, I, I really had – this was – a big, you know, like life experience for me. And I remember this because, and I share about it because I, I froze at the age of five on an emotional, mental, and spiritual level. I froze. And so when I came into recovery and stopped using food to numb myself and as a solution, everything I missed out on, the good, the bad, and the ugly, had to be re-experienced. And this is actually what I see take out, takes out a lot of people. 
that it's I would much rather sit on my kitchen floor and cry than binge purge or have a bad experience with food. Today I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to go to a meeting and share the gut stuff and have my nose running and tears streaming down my face rather than go back to the food. And these are not pleasant experiences. It's not, um, it's not always fun to have to do that, but it's life on life's terms. And I was never able to accept or deal with life on life's terms. Um, a lot of perfectionism was, you know, just how I lived my life and finding this gray area, you know, um, I have addicts in my family, and I can't get them to stop being addicts, and I just have to love them as they are right now, and that's a real gray area for me. That's not a black and white situation. It's not like you are either in recovery and I love you, or I hate you and I never talk to you again. It's this gray area of accepting them exactly as they are in this moment and loving them despite what's going on with them, and like... You know, OA to me has been like uh, about welcome to the world of gray and, and not living in that kind of perfectionistic black and white environment that I always lived in. Um, I was able to go back to school in recovery to college. I had had to leave for a year with all my, you know, bottoming out and different addictions. And um, I was able to graduate with honors. I, I used the tools that I had learned in OA. I went, I went every day. I never missed a class. I sat in the front row. I worked really hard. And I was never able to do that. You know, in high school, I was a B-minus student. You know, everybody would say, oh, you have such potential. You know, you have such potential. But I could never stick with anything. I could never show up. I would start writing a paper for high school, in high school, and then I would be in the food and binging and purging. And I was so busy with that, I couldn't really show up for life. So I had a very different experience in my recovery. Um, I've gone through times where I've had to turn over my food via telephone uh, before cell phones were invented. This is how far back. My, we used to have, like, you know, carry a dime, carry a quarter. You know, that used to be some of our slogans. Uh, that's how far back it goes. Um, I used to call in my sponsor and turn my food over. Um, and I've gone through different periods of time where that's necessary and different periods of time where that hasn't been necessary. And um, I got through the 12 steps. It took me a while. I wish, in hindsight, I had gotten through them more quickly. And then that's where a lot of my um, sanity and serenity has come from. Um, I almost relapsed in program about back in 2004 or so, 2003. I almost relapsed. And I just want to talk about that for a minute um, because... Once, once I came in here, and, you know, I got some time under my belt, and um, it's interesting to get resentments while you're in recovery, to have, like, worked the 12 steps and still get resentments. And I've had to work very diligently on my spiritual relationship because I have um, – I came to believe in a power greater than myself in this program. I think before I got into OA, I didn't really know if there was any kind of greater spiritual thing now, my higher power, I think there's two things I need to remember with my higher power. Number one, there is a higher power. Number two, I'm not it. Those are the two things I need to remember with my higher power. And I had a lot of trouble accepting life on life's terms. One of the big things I used to always share about was how, you know, I, I decided at about 21 I, got, I wanted to get married. And um, I got married at 39. So do the math, you know. Do the, I was so resentful about that one. Very <laughs> resentful. 
And I blamed God a lot. And so when I was almost relapsing, that was rolling around in my head. I was disappointed in where my career had gone. And I had a lot of life things that I was very upset about. And I began to get a little laissez-faire about working my program. I was in between sponsors, and um, I don't think I had a service commitment. And what I had gotten very restrictive with my food, and then I swung to this opposite end of the spectrum where I was being very kind of loosey-goosey with my food. Like, oh, you want to have hamburger and fries again? Okay, third time this week. Like, I was getting very loosey-goosey. And I started to put on about 10 pounds, <clears throat> and I was having a lot of trouble just getting um, a healthy food plan that I could stick to. And I had to go back to, again, my basics, um, and I repeat it again, getting a sponsor. I'm back to an old sponsor. We're still working together. Uh, getting a home group, giving service, and working the steps. And I was able to reclaim my abstinence before it really, before I completely lost it and started binging again. And that was a very painful time. Um, it, it was, in, and I, I've heard people share that once you relapse and come back, the second time is harder. And for me, it was very hard to um, stop hearing the call of the food and get back on track with working my program. So I, one of the reasons I try to stay really vigilant this, these days about talking to my sponsor or staying ingrained in the program is because I don't want to have to go through the uncomfortability of losing my abstinence and having to come back. Um, and as I said before, for me, it's a real life or death program. I just don't feel that I could have the quality of life that um, I have now if I'm in the food. Um, and that, um, you know, doesn't mean I don't go through challenges in my life now. I certainly do. Um, and certainly have a, a lot to work on in, in my recovery. And I feel like I've had to really just bone up. A, a couple of the things I do now that are, I'm finding very helpful, I meditate and pray on a daily basis. Um, this helps me to accept the world as it is. I've had many years of unhappiness because I wanted the world to change to my idea of how the world should be. And it's really helping me to have acceptance about what's going on around me. Um, the other thing I do is I have a 10-step partner, and <clears throat> I use this uh, uh, technological tool to uh, email this person on a daily basis about my, uh, what, how the day went. And uh, I do that because, um, you know, I, things can add up quickly. I, I feel like for, reco for recovering addicts, for me personally, boy, do I love resentments, you know. They're really easy. It's like, a, it's like a pebble that becomes a rock, that becomes a boulder, that gathers moss and gets bigger and bigger resentments. And if I can do a daily 10-step, I've found that I can start to catch things sooner. And one of the biggest things I um, have had to come to terms with in my 10-step was the amount of fear that I uh, operate with on a daily basis. And I've really been working with that lately. I used to think I was like this tough, cool chick from the Bronx. But what I find out now is that I was like a nervous wreck who didn't trust in anything. And you took my food away, and now it's me in life with no buffer. And my buffer has had to become a belief in something greater than myself in order to cope with the daily rigors of living. Um, I've had, like, new jobs recently, new responsibility, uh, new things coming into my life. And to show up with them without having the, a paralyzing anxiety and fear, I've had to really, you know, 
enhanced and up my spiritual relationship. So I'm really grateful to that 10-step for um, helping me to to stay on top of what's happening so it doesn't accumulate and take me over and force me to relapse. And um, I try to always be really frank with my sponsor. I talk about numbers with my weight. I talk about what's going on with my food. Um, I have a sponsee right now. And I, you know, really make sure that I get to meetings and, you know, continue to work my program. And I share honestly. Um, and, and these things help me a day at a time to have uh, the life that I have today, which I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful to just not have my face in a bag of food. And, and I'm sure I would have been dead by now, uh, whether it was the food that actually took me out or suicide. I'm, I'm sure I'd be dead. You know, they told me that when I came in. They said, you're going to end up in one of three places, jail, institution, or dead. And I didn't see myself in jail, but the institution thing really scared me. I really could see myself going there uh, in, indefinitely uh, or permanently, and I, and I really was afraid of that. So um, I think that's about all I have to share today. I want to express my deep gratitude for the program, for everybody being here today, and thanks a lot for letting me share. Okay, I think we have a few minutes for questions, right? Somebody want to ask a question? Okay, great. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you do these steps? Okay, um, the question is, could I talk a little bit about how I do my step 10 on a daily basis? Um, I actually use an app, which I'm not going to name out of respect to the tradition, so we, I can show it to you after the meeting. But um, I go through that, and I, it has questions that are straight out of the big book. Was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Um, is there something that I've kept from uh, from discussing that's of importance? Uh, was I looking for what I could pack into the stream of life, or was I completely focused on myself? So these are the basic questions that I answer on a daily basis. And if I notice something coming up repeatedly that I can't seem to um, address in prayer or meditation, then I talk about it with my sponsor. So that's how I do that. How do you use the program to cope with the addicts in your life? Okay, the question is, how do I use the program to cope with the addicts in my life? That's a great question. Well, there is a special program for that, and uh, I do frequent that program as well. Um, You know what I'm reminded of is uh, the the 12 traditions and bringing the traditions um, into all my affairs. And, you know, the tradition says our common welfare should come first. Personal progress for the greatest number depends on unity. And then um, it, it also something about not bringing up uh, outside issues. Um, the Alan, uh, Sorry, OA has no opinion on outside issues. And so, so those two things in that, number one, um, you know, if I say to the OA, the active OA in my life, are you going to eat that again? Are you, are you going to get more of that? You know, you really should try the OA program again. You know, it, it doesn't, it, it's about our common welfare. It's not helpful to the addicts in my life when I do that. And when I think about bringing up outside issues, for me, that's a controversial issue. And so the program tells me that I have to be a power of example, and it's attraction, not promotion. And, man, do I want it to be promotion sometimes. I just want to say, you know, you really ought to... <laughs> 
Um, I think the other thing that really helps me is that I have OAs in my life who have addicts in their families, and I talk to them about the, the hardcore nature of what that's like to sit and watch someone else killing themselves with their addiction, whether it be food or otherwise. It's really hard to watch somebody taking themselves down with food um, and just being powerless over that. So um, I, I find that with the pain that comes from watching family members, um, I talking to other people in recovery about it, like I talk to my other OAs about um, the family members that I watch, and that helps the 11-step for me because it allows a higher power to speak through them, and I'm able to get a calmness and a peace around it that of my own accord I'm not able to get. So I hope that helps. Yes. Well, thank you so much. <coughs> yeah. um, I really loved your sharing fully identified, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you worked um, 6 and 7 and, like, what, what defects were removed easily and which ones you still struggle with. Okay, okay. Um, step 6 and 7. You know, we are so blessed in OA. We have our lovely OA 12 and 12, and we have the OA workbook. And the OA workbook has phenomenal questions regarding step 6 and 7. So I've written on both step, step 6 and 7 in our OA, our OA workbook. There's a really great question in there. I think they go back to back. Number one, what does the character defect do to me? And number two, what does the character defect do for me? You know, these are two great questions. One of the biggest ones I've, I've um, one of the biggest defects I've struggled, struggled with is being a victim. Uh, and underneath that is fear and sloth, but it, it manifests in victimhood because it's really easy to say, oh, I can't try again because it doesn't work out for people like me. You know, it's really easy to do that because then I don't have to show up and try again and put myself on the line and be vulnerable. And I'm really, a lot of times, beneath that afraid. So it's been a combination of fear and sloth. I would have to say that that's been one of my biggest uh, defects that I've, like, been in the ring with, uh, you know, over and over. Some of them I've had uh, relief from. Uh, you know, keeping my mouth shut in certain, certain situations. I used to be a lot more, I used to give a lot more commentary about things when I was early on. And um, I'm, I don't want to get into controversial discussions anymore. You know, like at work, they get into these topics, and I'm like, mm-hmm, got to make copies, and I leave the room. And I, um, this is something that has been, you know, that's been really helpful. But there are other ones like the victimhood, the victimhood one for me is like mold in the bathroom. I gotta constantly scrub the tile, or it comes back. So um, some of my defects are like that. Some of them have really been lifted, but some of them are like the mold in the bathroom. Yeah, and that's time. Okay, thank you so much, everybody.